please to be seated. Thank you to those leading us in our song praise. Let's just pray and ask God's help. Lord, we come to you recognizing our need and our dependence on you. Pray for speaker, for hearer alike. Lord, that the words of my mouth would be pleasing in your sight. And Lord, that you would, by your Holy Spirit, take these words and use them to, to work your will in our lives. Help, help us to preach. Help us to listen. In Jesus' name. Amen. Last week, uh, we saw how Jesus, upon seeing this lame man lying at the pool, we looked at his condition, and then we saw how Jesus showed him compassion, and then he challenged him as he found him in the temple as to his sin. We also noticed how that this healing was performed on the Sabbath. And because of that, it brought Jesus into conflict with the religious leaders of the day. It's interesting that, that these guys who were the religious leaders of the day and, and, and were meant to show compassion and care and, and such like, they had no interest whatsoever in this man who was healed. They wrote saying that they persecuted him and we see from verse 18 that because of all of this, they tried all the harder to kill him. <coughs> now remember that much of this was being carried out by the religious rulers of the day. And yes, <coughs> they had a responsibility, that they had a duty to, to, as it were, investigate any new teachers that came on the scene less that, that they were false and, and, and therefore lead many people astray. We, we saw this in relation to when John the Baptist first appeared on the scene. Uh, chapter 1, verse 19, they went and they investigated John the Baptist. And it would seem from verse 16 that they were, as it were, investigating and watching Jesus. Because John tells us that Jesus was doing these things, plural, on the Sabbath. And it appears in some ways that what Jesus is doing is, is, is deliberately holistic traditions of the scribes and the Pharisees. You see, knowing God and, and loving God and, and, and following God is not just about a set of rules. That kind of ties you down. So I mentioned last week in regards to, to the law about keeping the Sabbath day. Uh, we, we read, remember the Sabbath day, keep it holy. Yeah, that is right, that is good, that is proper. But by Jesus' time, what had happened was they had built around that one law another 39 laws and restrictions. And literally, they were killing the spirit of the law by the letter of the law. They were making it well nigh impossible to, to serve God with, with, with a sense of joy and, and, and of freedom. That they had long lost sight of actually the ultimate purpose of the law. Namely, to, to model a life and to live a life that pleased God but 
was also a witness to those round about them. And, it, and it's important as we look at this, and, and, and we'll see it further as we work our way through John's Gospel, but it's, for, it's important to stress here that Jesus kept the law in every way. And what we have in for this increased persecution and this desire to have him killed. Because in verse 17, if you look at it clearly, Jesus makes the first claim to the unique relationship that he has with the Father. Notice what he says. He says, my Father is also, sorry, my Father is always at work to this very day, and I too am working. See carefully what he, Jesus says here, my Father. Not, not our father, which would have been the usual way for, for, for the, the Jews to, to address Yahweh, to address God. That's what Jesus is doing here, is claiming to be equal with God. And if healing on the Sabbath was bad enough, then this is outrageous. This is blasphemy. And they, learned men, they would have understood instantly what Jesus meant by this. What, what Jesus was saying, namely that he was equal with God. Which, as I said to them, was nothing more than blasphemy. Warren Wearsby makes a point that Jesus made himself equal with God because he is God. It's one of the main themes of this gospel. In the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God. And the Word was God. Uh, the, the line of, 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 of I forget the, 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 what, what Carol it is, but veiled in flesh. The Godhead, see. The problem was they couldn't see. They didn't get it. Despite all this evidence that, that, that is piling up, despite their knowledge of the scriptures, the scriptures which spoke of Jesus, they just didn't get it. But then, if you remember part of the prologue that we looked at in chapter one way back, John tells us, he came to his own, but his own did not receive him. And this, this was serious. And in response to, to their accusations, Jesus makes some further kind of outrageous, he actually reaffirms what he has said in verse 17. Jesus tells him that he can do nothing by himself, but only what he sees the Father doing. Because what the Father does, the Son, there is no, there is no separation. What the Father does, the Son does. He is one with the Father in his works. John 10, whenever we get to that, John 10 verse 30 makes that even clearer. I and the Father are one. The deity of Christ. And regarding these works, he tells them that he, Jesus, will show to them even greater things than these. And, and I kind of take 
the, the, the greater things than these. I take it to refer to, to, to the healing. We have to keep Scripture in context. I, I take it to, to, to refer to the healing of the man at the pool and, and some of the other miracles that are not here recorded. And I guess we need to ask in some ways, well, what are these greater things? Because if we're honest, miraculously healing a cripple of 38 years and restoring him to, to full health is in and of itself pretty amazing. And, and, and as we work our way through the gospel, we will see even kind of greater things than that. However, it is the next two verses that must really have got these religious people thinking, who does this guy think he is? Because Jesus tells them that he, like God, who raises the dead, will give life to whom he pleases. And he tells them that judgment has also been entrusted to him. These are two, for, for want of a better word, responsibilities that they, the Jews, saw as being only carried out by God. It was only God who gave life. And it was only God who could be judged. And here is Jesus standing in their midst and saying, I will bring life, I will judge. And we need, friends, to pay attention to what Jesus is saying here. We need to understand the importance of it. We also need to keep in mind, as I said, the context into which Jesus is saying this. If, if you were with us last night, and not last, last week, you with us last week when, when we looked at, at the healing of the man at the pool, we, we, we saw how Jesus brought, as it were, life to, to, to that man's dead bones. He brought him life again. He gave him life again. But then he also warned him, didn't he, about his sin and of how if he didn't stop his sinning, something worse will happen. Talking of judgment. And now Jesus is here, if you like, bringing these two themes together again and, and, and kind of spiritualizing it. You see, friends, by his word, he brought life to this lame man. He says, get up, pick your mat and walk. That's all that was required. And you know what? It is by his word that he brings life, real life, to those who are, as Paul speaks, speaks of in Ephesians 2, dead in their sins. It is a point that Jesus brings out further in verses 25 to 26 because there is a bit of repetitiveness in these verses. A time is coming, he says, and has now come when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. And I think there is something of both the now and the then kind of going on here and Jesus in verses 24 to 30 further brings the uh, responsibilities these two powers these two attributes whatever we want to call them that he is now claiming are his that are given to him by God namely life and judgment in the hands of Jesus he begins verse 24 if you look carefully you'll see he begins verse 24 the same way as he does verse 19. He says this, I tell you the truth. Or as the AV has it, verily, verily. 
or another translation has it, truly, truly. That, that really is, kind of listen to what I have got to say. It's interesting in John's gospel, John records Jesus using this type of introduction to what he is about to say 25 times in the gospel. And each time that it is used, it is to introduce sayings by Jesus that are solemn, that are significant, that we need to pay attention to. Truly, truly, verily, verily, I tell you the truth. There is a phrase that we could have fun with. There's a truth, there's a saying, sorry, that gets, or a phrase that gets bandied about. But in this day and age, friends, we would do well to ask the same question that Pilate asked Jesus in John 18, verse 34. Well, and, and we, by the time we get to John 18, well, I have no idea when we'll get to John 18, but, but there in John 18, Jesus is on trial. And he's, he, he tells Pilate, he says, you are right. Pilate asks him, are you a king? And, and Pilate says, you are right in saying I am a king. In fact, for this reason I was born, and for this reason I came into the world to testify to the truth. Well, what is truth? Who can we believe? Politicians? The media? Ministers? I tell you the truth. In using these words, Jesus shows us that he can be trusted. Jesus shows us that he is truth. Indeed, as, as one of the great I am sayings of this gospel declare, John 14, verse 6, Jesus says, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. You see, friends, despite what a way or a truth or a life, no. He is not a kind of one amongst many ways. No one comes to the Father except through me. He is the way, definite article, the only way. He is the truth, the only truth. And he is the life. And he is the only life. And when you know him, you know that. Therefore, it does as well to listen to what Jesus is saying because he's telling the truth and in these verses he is speaking about life and he is speaking about death and he is speaking about judgment and they hold out to all who will believe a peace and a comfort and an assurance and a joy and a life that, that as Jesus says in John 10 verse 10 is full I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. How, how full is your life? I, 
and I don't mean your diary because if it's anything like mine it's probably bursting at the seams but how full are you with the life that you have where do you get your ultimate fulfillment what is it who is it that satisfies you friends let me say if it's not Jesus then you are missing out on the whole meaning of life life in all of its fullness now that's not to say that other things and other people are, are not important but nothing compares to knowing the life that Jesus brings you uh, we, we were talking a wee bit about this this past week at, at Christianity Explored um, the question was brilliant the question was asked why do Christians not look and act as joyful and content as they claim it's great it's brilliant, it's brilliant. I just love the interaction of it why do Christians not look and act as joyful and content as they claim and it's not that, that we're not without our problems and our worries like everyone else and we discussed and on, on Wednesday night at, at, at length <laughs> It went on and on and on. At length, the difference kind of between, between happiness and contentment and fulfillment. True life and true contentment and true fulfillment is only found in Jesus. And we go looking all over the place for it. And yet ultimately these things will fail us. It might make us happy for a time, but there's a vast difference between happiness and contentment and fulfillment and life as Jesus would have us have it. Notice carefully what, what Jesus is saying. Whoever, he says, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has, has now eternal life and will not be content, condemned. This believing, friends, has not just got kind of eternal consequences, of course it does, but it has present right now consequences. Eternal life begins now. And the threat and, and, and the consequences of, of, of condemnation and of judgment, when we trust in Christ and know him in, in all its fullness, they are gone. That there's another hymn of an old hymn that says this the vilest offender who truly believes that moment thanks Murray that moment there and then from Jesus a pardon receives and in Romans 8 we read therefore there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus and in verse 25 again true Jesus let me ask you have you heard his voice have you responded to his word do you know what it is to cross from death to life and therefore not have to fear any judgment or condemnation which is to come that ultimately is what these verses are about and God God has given the authority to Jesus regarding life and actually in John 11 we'll just show just Jesus will show us that literally in John chapter 11 when, when at the 
the, 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 the grave of Lazarus. He calls Lazarus to come out. God has given the authority to Jesus regarding life. And he's given, it has present consequences. But it also goes on into the future. Because that's what verses 28 and 29 are speaking of. Please be clear of what Jesus is saying here. Time is coming when all who are in their graves will hear his voice and come out. And there is only one of two options here. Either we rise to life and all that that entails in heaven with Jesus. Or we will rise to be condemned and sent to a place the Bible calls hell. You see, death is not the end. We live in a day and age when many would want to make that the case. But the Bible teaches something clearly different. Jesus teaches something clearly different. Jesus, who is truth, teaches it. And we see from verse 30 that any judgment that is passed on that day will be just. Because God is a God of just. It's a just God, a God of justice. And it will be meted out fairly. There will be no cries of injustice on that day. There will be no excuse of, I didn't know. Because here we see the way to life in all of its fullness. And life and judgment has been entrusted to Jesus. How, how, how do we respond? It is good, proper Sorry, it is good and proper that um, we constantly, we constantly remind ourselves of the main purpose of this gospel, which is up there on the screen, summed up in verse 31 of chapter 20. These are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you, you, you may have life in his name and life in all its fullness. Let's pray.